So on today's podcast, I have on with me one of the most well-renowned natural bodybuilding coaches, that is Cliff Wilson. If you're a competitor, you already know who Cliff is, but if you're not, all I can say is if you're at a competition and you see someone who's absolutely shredded to the highest standard, there's a good chance that Cliff will be involved in that competition prep. He's really well known for bringing his athletes in absolutely peeled, but also his um, I won't say unique, but different strategy for peak week and his carbohydrate loading methods in that last week before competition. So I really enjoyed this conversation about the way that he preps his athletes, but also the peak week process. Cliff's a really, really insightful guy, and uh, I hope you pick something up from this conversation. If you're a new listener, please do subscribe to this and go back and listen to some of the old episodes. I have some really, really great guests on and as I will in the future, but please do go back and listen to some older ones. And finally, before we jump in, I want to mention my coaching services. I've had some slots open up and uh, I've got some positions available for new clients. So if you want to click the the link in my bio or go to my website, healthmastery.co, and you want to maximize your physique, um, whether that's hypertrophy or strength, then let's have a chat. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation um and talk all about peak week and prepping his clients with cliff wilson so cliff thanks for joining man it's it's been a while trying to get you on i'm uh, delighted to finally have you on the podcast yeah yeah i i'm glad we were finally able to make this happen i appreciate you having me yeah you're, you're saying that you are pretty busy um i saw you on a jeff nippard youtube video i don't know if that's a podcast but a little clip and you said you just got a ton of client applications so it's not a bad problem yeah yeah, you know, I'm usually, uh, well, I'm usually uh, pretty, I'm usually pretty busy. Um, but, you know, obviously, with Jeff's following, I get smashed pretty hard. And um, I usually do all of my client applications myself these days, um, because I like to look through and see who I'd really like to work with. So <laughs> doing my normal client work, plus dealing with uh, all the attention that Jeff brings uh, has definitely <laughs> been interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a good problem. It's a good problem to be able to reject clients and work with who you want. And uh, you've worked with some phenomenal athletes. I think you're probably one of the, you know, the, the most renowned natural bodybuilding coaches. Even as niche as that sounds, like probably amongst like if someone says who's like who's one of the best natural bodybuilding coaches, uh, you know, your name would come up. Oh yeah, I appreciate it. You know, one thing I always laugh about is like when I first started uh, coaching. I wasn't even totally sure if I could make a living from just coaching bodybuilders in general, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, uh, and, and it's been, uh, here I am, you know, 11 years later, still doing it. So as long as I can keep doing this job, I'm going to keep going with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've met a number of your athletes, uh, over the, over the, of the last, last few years. I, I, the, the last was probably the last competition I was at, was at Worlds. I, I'm not sure if it was just Brett, but you know, I know you were working with Brett and he was absolutely peeled um he's actually on the last podcast and i spoke to him last week or something like that but yeah you're you're known for getting your athletes absolutely shredded right uh yeah you know i i think um the, i always view it as once prep begins um we can't control how much muscle mass you have and so the one thing we can control in prep is how lean we are getting and uh i like to really uh i like to really make sure we leave no stone unturned because regardless of who I'm working with, um, even if they don't have a lot of muscle mass, 
the one way we can defeat people with larger muscle, you know, uh, greater development is by, you know, out conditioning them. And then of course, like posing and things like that. But, you know, of course, uh, some striated glutes are always going to be pretty eye catching. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you only work with the natural athletes or do you work with assisted athletes as well? I work with assisted athletes too. Um, I would say if I had to estimate, this isn't precise, but I would say um, probably 70% of my clients are natural and 30% are uh, enhanced. And I, I would say I'm probably less known on the enhanced side because one, I don't have as many um, competitors in that arena. And uh, two, I think uh, sometimes on the enhanced side, I have a difficult time getting the enhanced competitors uh, to deal with the time frames that I want them to, you know, maybe taking a little bit more time to prep and things like that. But the ones that I've had have been really successful. Like I coach, uh, I mean, well over a dozen IFPB pros at this point, um, but it's just not something I'm quite as known for. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like some of the really well-known um, like enhanced coaches, I suppose you call them, or open bodybuilding coaches. Um, they're like, they follow a bit more like the bro kind of, they're, they're a bit far removed often from the science. Like if you're thinking about like Hanny Rambod, <clears throat> apologies, or or who else is top? I suppose Matt Jansen's pretty pretty scientific, but, but before his time, like, uh, like what's his name? George Farah and stuff. They, they do some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, but they it's kind of like you have this authority bias and you have you win olympia with phil heath and then you get everybody else who wants to work with you yeah yeah you know it's uh it, it is pretty interesting because sometimes like the the more i'll call them like the evidence-based crowd of bodybuilding and then the pro side it's almost like political sides you know they're always warring with each other and i i always laugh because i'm, I'm kind of somewhere in that center line and so um i i find that i'm I joke that sometimes my following isn't as big because I'm constantly making posts that kind of piss off one side or the other. And so um, I'd probably, probably have a, a lot more followers uh, if I, if I would stick more with party lines on one side or the other. Yeah. You have to uh, like, I know, I know I spoke with Jared Feather a while ago and about like the difference between competing as a natural and, and competing as, as an assisted athlete. And he was saying like, obviously with, with anabolics it's it, it makes things a, a bit trickier and there's a lot more variables is, is that something you have to help with or do you have like do, do they work with the like i don't know a pharmacist quote unquote um there you know it just kind of depends on the person things are jared is definitely right there are a lot more um variables to control when it comes to that um you know without going into too many specifics that there are a lot of things that need to be controlled in terms of one, how, how are we making progress? Um, two, are, is the person keeping an eye on health and how, you know, how much are they prioritizing health versus progress? Because there is always a give and a take with that um, mm -hmm. to an extent. And so, uh, and then of course, like when you come down to peak week, there's some issues with water retention and timing of certain things. So it does play a significant factor. And um, there are things that you need to be aware of with your diet. Um, and how some of those substances will get added in or removed. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it does need to be like a, a team effort. Um, and so I would say me and the client and whoever else may be involved will will kind of set a plan together. Yeah. Yeah. And I do definitely want to talk about peak week because I know that you have like a, I won't say a different strategy, but you have like a, well, you, you basically, you do like a very, very heavy, like backload. And, um, but we'll talk about that in a bit, but 
one thing I talked with Brett about when how he did his prep differently was that he he said, and maybe this is not the same for every athlete, but if if progress isn't made one week week, you would actually kind of make an adjustment to nutrition or otherwise. So what kind of way would you set up your your diet? Because I know that some other natural bodybuilding coaches, and I, I do agree, natural bodybuilders should diet for longer so they can retain more muscle. Uh, but often they'll, you know, if there's no progress, they kind of hold things for for a while to just, you know, even if there's no scale progress or anything like that. Um, how, how do you approach your prep your clients and do you have a kind of time frame or is it based of a, a rate of weight loss and then their body fat or a combination yeah um it, it's it's kind of a combination i i would like to see um you're, you're right enhanced people can lose a little bit more quickly but even sometimes i still think they go too quickly um I, in my experience i think sometimes people on the enhanced side go too fast or too aggressive and people on the the natural side are too timid with their changes um, because the, the way I view it is if progress starts coming too quickly, um, it's very easy to slow progress down. We just add some more food and cut some cardio, but it's sometimes very difficult to speed progress up. And so um, I am, I tend to be on the more aggressive side with changes. Um, I don't ever, I, not never, but I rarely wait around for a drop to happen. Um, I'm going to adjust. If we don't hit a, a goal for the week, uh, a weight loss goal where we're pushing forward with some changes. Um, and th there's a few rare circumstances where I won't do that, but um, I try to, I mean, depending how long the prep is, most people I'm going to want their rate of loss hovering around a pound per week. Um, I say hovering, it could give or take a half a pound maybe. Um, and so, you know, it, I, I base their rate of loss on their body type and what I know about them as a person. It can be a little bit trickier if I just work with somebody for their prep and go right into it. But um, I learn on the fly as we're going what they're capable of. Um, but yeah, I, 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 will always, I will always make a change if we're not, not meeting expectation. And sometimes, sometimes clients cannot believe the changes I'll make because I'll, um, I'll set the goal of losing one pound for the week and they'll lose uh, 0 0.9. And, you know, we, we fall one tenth of a pound short and I will, I'll still make changes. And they're oh, like, I can't right. believe you're making changes here. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stickler about sticking to rate of loss targets. Yeah. Well, I mean, the results speak for themselves, but one thing that I would think about is like, what happens if someone's like, like very stressed or they're, I don't know, they, they're, yeah, they're like their life situation outside of the gym. Like they've got like, I don't know if you work with mainly people who are just, you know, bodybuilding is their main focus or something like that. And obviously that has to be kind of for prep, but if there's any kind of external circumstances that make them say, hold water or something like that, will you still make that change? Um, or I'll, does it I'll probably still make the change. Um, and, and it's very common that people are stressed out, but I'll probably still make the change. I would just make a more conservative change um, to account for the water they may be holding. But I'll usually say something like, if you end up losing, if, if you hit a point where you are losing more than a pound, maybe midway through the week, essentially, or more, you know, more than our target at that point, if you end up exceeding that early, then email me and we'll reassess. Mm. Um, so, um, but it, that rarely ever happens, honestly. Um, usually they don't exceed the target the following week, or if they do, not by much. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I do account, but I'll make a smaller change for it. 
Um, but I do think that um, you can always find a reason for why you didn't lose more weight. And I think that's actually the downfall of so many people when making changes, you know, they're like, well, I didn't sleep well because the odds are going to be that there's always something that is yeah. propping your weight up. You know, you didn't sleep well for a day or two. Uh, you're stressed at work. You're stressed at home life. Uh, you had a salty meal. And it's almost like if you break that down, you probably have like one of those things every single week as it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so do you, by the sounds of it, then your prep would maybe perhaps be a little bit shorter because if you're constantly making progress, if someone's say 30 pounds over stage weight, they're probably not going to be dieting for more than 30 weeks. Or do you leave a period to kind of regain fullness and eat back into the show? I probably wouldn't go over 30 weeks because I, I also try to keep a faster rate of loss in the beginning of a contest prep. Uh, you know, we, we may, we may try to go to 1.5 or two pounds in the first few weeks because muscle loss isn't really going to take place in those first few weeks. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I may push things, but yeah, I, I try to, I try to not let things carry on too long. Um, but you know, the same reason, uh, the same reason I am, I, I do keep a pretty relentless pace with those changes. So it's for those reasons that I try to make sure that um, people are mentally prepared for what I'm gonna what I'm gonna throw at them because um, I know that a lot of times I would say five weeks out, six weeks out, a lot of times um, I'll have clients tell me they're like, I'm pretty much show ready now, and I'm like, no, we've got like five more pounds to go. <laughs> so um, I I think that a lot of people don't quite know what they're capable of in terms of how lean they can actually get. Yeah. And do you find that it's, that's particularly difficult for adherence in terms of like, I, like that sounds like brilliant. You could make progress every week and it, you know, you're, there's no stalls or anything like that, but it, it's obviously more difficult for the person mentally, physically. Do you find that there's issues with adherence or do you, do you do anything to mitigate that to add in any refeeds or, or break diet breaks or anything like that? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I would say, you know, even with the more aggressive changes, there's still stalls, you know, it's just kind of part of the part of the game, but I kind of usually include stalls within my rate of loss that I'm trying to achieve. Um, it's one of the reasons why I push for more weight at the beginning of a prep rather than at the end. So that way, um, any stall weeks that may come about, we've already sort of gained that ground. Um, but yeah, I do. I usually give people a one or two refeed days per week uh, just to kind of recharge the batteries mentally and physically. If we get ahead of pace, um, diet breaks will be used. Um, the, the length of a diet break will just dep depend on how ready, how ready, how early we are. So if someone, you know, if we feel like we could just uh, make a week of zero progress, then I will just give it an entire week of a refeed, um, which happens fairly often actually. Uh, but it's also kind of based on how someone's feeling, because if somebody really is rolling and we're losing weight week in and week out, I'm not going to, I'm not going to interrupt that for a diet break. Usually yeah. um, it's if progress starts to become a little stalled, but we're still ahead of pace and I'll go ahead and add it in. Um, and, but uh, right. oh, go ahead. Yeah. Do, do you mainly, do you mainly kind of create that deficit through the diet alone or do you add in cardio or is that kind of context dependent? I, I remember following Con Wolf back in, could have been 2017. And he was like, I, I don't know if I want to say boasting, but he was like, going <laughs> like I've, I've done no cardio. And I'm like, he was peeled, you know? Yeah, I, I do zero cardio in my own contest prep as well. Um, I, I try to, I do cardio for a 
I'll use cardio more in the off season if someone's doing like a mini cut. Um, but for a contest prep, I view cardio as a last resort type of thing. Um, I've, I'll do it once I've exhausted most, not all, but most dietary measures. Um, the reason being that training performance just stays so much higher when you're not having to do any cardio. And I used to be someone like back in the early part of my career, I was prescribing hit, you know, hit cardio for people. Um, I don't do that anymore just because of the, the damage that it does to weight training yeah. performance. Um, and I would say when I started treating cardio as a last resort, the, the results of my clients on stage were significantly better, much fuller look while I, I was getting similar conditioning, the same conditioning, but a much fuller look um, because they didn't look depleted. Um, and another thing I found that in adherence increased because most people find that they're not quite as hungry or they don't crave as much when they're not doing cardio. Cardio can sometimes help people like not feel hungry in the moment that they are doing cardio. But I find that over the course of weeks, it almost seems to make people more hungry. And, and do you classify the cardio as like steps as well? Like you don't prescribe or give any kind of steps. You let people fall naturally, like let their steps fall naturally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I, if I give them cardio, I'll usually give them a time limit and an intensity prescription. Um, but I, I actually just, this is really against the current trend of things, but I actually discourage step counts for most people, not all it depends on their personality. Um, because I don't think it's very helpful for some people to micromanage every detail of their lives because it becomes a significant stressor. Um, bodybuilders are already kind of hyperactive control freaks as is, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I try to, I try to manage as few variables as necessary at the beginning of prep, you know, I'll give them, I'll give them macros, I'll give them some timing for those macros. Um, and we'll start off with no cardio. And then if we need to add cardio, I'll give them some time. But then if things start, if things aren't progressing the way that I feel they should be progressing, then we'll look at, um, uh, food choices, you know, what foods are they eating? We'll maybe work together to set some plans with their food choices. And then I'll look at step counts if I feel like something's not working properly. Um, but for the most part, I try to keep things as low stress as possible for people throughout their prep. Um, yeah, that makes sense. What, what do you mean by food choices? I, I don't mean particularly what you mean by like choosing foods, but do you, where, where do you see issues there? Is it people like kind of eating foods that maybe not like track properly or have wrong kind of nutritional values or overestimating, underestimating? I would say all of the above, actually. I, you know, sometimes people uh, are using what I would call favorable food measurements. <laughs> you know, that they're telling me that the nutrient value, value of something they're eating is, um, is, is what they've been using. And it's just uh, not nearly high enough. But um, I would say some of the biggest factors include um, too many processed or packaged foods. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize, but the government regulations for processed or packaged foods, they usually allow for like a 20% margin of error. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of these foods have an incentive to use that 20% margin of error. You know, if you can, if you can bump your calories down by 20%, a lot of people are more likely to pick it up off the shelf. And so uh, I think sometimes having these processed or packaged foods, you can be consuming quite a few more calories than you realize. Um, yeah, and, and at the risk of sounding like a total bro here, the food choices do matter to an extent. Um, not because calories in and calories out doesn't work, but 
the problem is that there are factors in terms of um, processed foods tend to have a lower thermic effect. Uh, you, don't, you know, the, what that means is for those that don't know, uh, when you consume a less processed food, usually it requires more digestion. And so you're going to burn calories just digest eating and digesting that food. Processed foods usually don't have the same level of uh, the same thermic effect as, as less processed foods. Also, more processed foods uh, tend to uh, alter gut bacteria to a degree. And it's possible that you can even extract more calories from, from some of these. So some of these things can alter, um, alter fat loss. And even like another one, uh, a lot of bodybuilders, when, I, when they're told to eat vegetables, they're like, I have broccoli, broccoli twice a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, like they call it a day with that. But uh, I like to really make sure that during prep, people are getting a variety of colors and types and enough of them. Uh, maybe 30 or 35 grams of your daily carbohydrates coming from vegetables alone and a different colors and types uh, because a lot of vegetables have uh, phytochemicals in them, which can aid in hormone, uh, keeping your hormones proper, properly regulated, uh, fat loss hormones high, and you can lose a little bit more fat from you know, some of these phytochemicals and nutrients that you may be devoid of by just only eating broccoli every day. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point for, for general health as well. Do you, do you do you kind of give a food list or recommendation or do you just say kind of try and get uh, as much variety of colors as possible and, and kind of single kind of single ingredient foods like or, or do you really go in and say like here's your plan for your meals or whatever? Yeah, kind of the same way with with steps and cardio. I start with less regulation. Um, I will tell them uh, that I want them to eat fewer processed foods. And especially as their food intake gets lower, the processed food should even diminish even more. You know, when, when somebody's consuming 500 grams of carbohydrates in the off season, they have plenty of room to, to add in some more processed foods there. Um, but so I start with less regulation. I don't really give them a food list, but I give some specifications that I want a lot of variety, not just in vegetables, but I want a lot of variety of mm -hmm. foods in general. Um, and I'll start with that, but once again, I'll check in with them from time to time, what foods have you been eating? And if things aren't progressing, like I, I can oftentimes tell when something's maybe not correct because I can usually tell through the progress being made. Um, but yeah, I start with like less regulation and then I'll tighten up the controls and then I'll probably pull it back a little bit as they've learned from, from the, the adjustments that I've made. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in trying not to micromanage my clients too heavily because ultimately they're the ones that live in their body. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I think we've all experienced it where maybe some foods we, we like the taste of better. Maybe the cooking process fits better within our lifestyle. Sometimes people eat foods and they feel a little bloated or, you know, they don't, they just don't feel as well from it uh, for one reason or another. So I try to let them use the foods that fit within their own, their own lives most appropriately. Yeah. Do you find the same way with like newer clients or not newer clients, but newer competitors, people who are new to competing? Because obviously I think you, I don't know where I heard you mention it, but dieting for shows can be not to hyperbole, but the can be traumatic. Um, it is pretty like mentally tough. Do you find that with newer clients or first time competitors that you have to be a bit more, um, you know, micromanaging or give them a bit more directions than, than saying kind of, you know, go by it yourself. Um, yeah, they, they do need more guidance for sure. 
I try to start first time competitors off with um, with the same reins. I, I, I try to do a good job of like giving them parameters to work within. I don't really just hand the macros over and say, you know, go at it. But I give I give guidance in terms of like, I would like to see you consuming these types of foods or these types of foods, but without specific foods being listed. Um, and that is because, uh, and, and then I make it clear to first time competitors that this is a, a skill development. Uh, you know, I want to, and at the risk of sounding like really cheesy here, but uh, I really want to like build good competitors. Uh, rarely do I have people just use me for one single show season. Usually people will come back and use me for multiple show seasons. And um, I, I like that because I, I set, most of my clients know that when I work with them, I'm, I have like a, their career in mind, <laughs> not just um, not just getting them to this one show and then see you later, we'll never work together again. Um, so I want them to build those skills of, um, of being able to learn how to count macros, put the foods together, um, adjust timing even as they see fit to work within their lifestyle and training schedules. Um, so if I can, the more I can let them build those skills up, stronger long-term competitor I'll have um, and, uh, sometimes it can be frustrating for new competitors, but I just try to make it, make sure they know, like, I'm not expecting perfection right out of the gate. Um, even when I work with a first time competitor, I give them longer timeframes for prep to account for this learning curve of having to, you know, learn how to do this properly. So I may tack on, you know, even a, a good four weeks to their contest prep just to account for this learning curve. Yeah. Something, something I heard you mention about, um, repeated competitors that it gets, easier as you compete like you can deal with it. i definitely experienced that myself competing first in 2013 but i've done three three seasons some people don't agree but what do you what do you find becomes easier and and how do and do people kind of get leaner or do you believe that like someone can actually get like quote unquote shredded at their first, or have lines in their ass the first time they step on stage yeah as a general kind of yeah i think some people can get striated glutes on their first time on stage but usually they have a lot of years of training experience, not always, usually, um, and a good amount of muscle mass. Uh, I don't think sometimes people realize how important mature muscle mass is to getting truly shredded. Um, because even, even a first time competitor that has uh, good muscle mass there, they won't have that grainy look that somebody that's been training, you know, 15, 20 years will have. Um, but you are correct. So I, I would say there's a caveat to getting leaner each time or having it get easier each time is making sure that there is enough times and space between doing so. Um, people that try to, if you're enhanced, you can do it. Uh, but people that are natural that try to compete year in and year out, they may get to the same level the next year. Um, and it, let's say they get truly shredded the first time. Let's say they left nothing on the table. You know, they got truly shredded. They try to do it again the next year. They will probably be able to do it again next year. But either the following year or the year after, they're probably going to notice a decline because they're not giving their hormones enough time to regulate and their body enough time to recover and reach homeostasis. Um, but if you leave maybe two years between show seasons, it should absolutely get leaner. Um, and I think a lot of this is revolves around mental, mental tools. Um, I think, uh, 
without going too deep down a rabbit hole. One thing I, I constantly talk to my clients about is expectation strategies. Um, knowing what to expect uh, is extremely important, extremely important towards confidence and anxiety. Um, the more people feel like they don't know what to expect, you know, and, and this doesn't just go for bodybuilding, this is life in general. When you don't know what to expect, of course, anxiety is gonna be a little higher and anxiety is a really draining emotion. And uh, even the research shows that confidence, confidence is in large part based upon our ability to predict our performance within a certain um, skill or task, and then dictate and judge the outcome of that performance. So going into your very first show, um, you don't exactly know how well you're going to do, you know, am I gonna be able to stick with my diet? Am I gonna be able to do what is required? You're not totally sure, because it's your first time. And you don't really know how you're going to look on stage uh, compared to the other guys um, or look when you get to the end even. So all of this is uh, first-time competitors are super, super anxious and lacking confidence. And so then when you do it again, you're like, I know what to expect. I know what I did last time. You know, I know what things produced. Uh, I know how I performed and I know how my performance produced results. And so it's much easier to get back to where you were because there's less anxiety revolving around getting to that point. And then at which point when you get back to where you were conditioning wise, going even farther is usually harder because once you cross that plane of where you were previously, and that's because you're in new territory, you're back to some anxiety triggers because um, I don't know how I'm gonna perform trying to lose three more pounds than I did last time. What will that outcome be? So each time you're able to like step it a little bit further because you have less anxiety and more confidence to do so, which physically it's, of course that's psychological, but I, I mean, anybody who's ever been mentally stressed can tell you, you're not gonna necessarily have great training sessions. You know, you're gonna, it's gonna have its physical tolls. Sorry yeah. for the ramp. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I've, I've experienced that myself, um, just getting better condition, but also easier and more enjoyable preps, even though I've got, you know, further, um, I know the next time we compete will, you know, be the same and just trying to get that next, next level is, uh, is, is going to be like the anxiety part. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, and it's funny because sometimes I hear advanced competitors talking to first time competitors and they're like, you just got to learn to relax. And I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say you did your yeah. first show 10 years ago where you were probably a giant ball of stress because you don't want to look like the chubby guy up on stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, exactly, um, yeah. I just try to, I just try to give first-time competitors a lot of feedback, um, let them know where they stand, let them know how they're performing, because that's how you can reduce their anxiety. You know, if they're if they're doing well, I tell them they're doing well. And honestly, if they're not doing well, I also tell them that. Um, I, that's something coaches shy away from is, you know, they don't they don't tell clients when they're not doing a good job. And uh, you know, if they're going out to eat too much or you know they're snacking too much, I'm like, hey, you know, just to let you know, this amount of snacking or this, going out to eat this much is is not, not producing good results. We need to reel those in. Um, because once again, uh, when people know how they're performing, um, it allows them to alter behaviors in a positive manner. Yeah, it's definitely a different mindset taking, like coaching somebody who's wants to get in shape, who's like a general pop or just a kind of a, you know, a recreational bodybuilder versus somebody who's trying to get on the world stage or something like that or win a pro card you know you have to you, you can't be overly lenient and too flexible with their with their lifestyle the same with most sports at the very top 
Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I want to touch a little bit on uh, Peak Week. I know that's something that's, you know, I, I don't know if it's, I would say unique to, to you, but uh, it, it's something that you, you're you kind of well known for in, in your strategy. And I don't know if you do this with all your clients, but uh, do you want to explain a little bit about you, what, what you do in terms of carbohydrate and maybe, you know, overall nutrition manipulation in the last week or, or however long Peak Week is? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for those that don't know, Peak Week is the final week going into the show. Uh, and when I first started coaching, um, the, the most common form of peaking was called the front load, where you uh, load carbohydrates at the beginning of the week. And then as the show gets closer, you taper them down a little bit and maybe a little bump at the end. Um, and when I first started coaching, that was the method that I used for most people. Of course, the variables would be adjusted between water and sodium and, and carbohydrates, but I would use that generalized flow throughout the week. Um, but one thing I continued to find was that uh, people seemed to look better, slightly better at the beginning of the week when I was really pushing carbohydrates heavily. Um, and I couldn't seem to recapture that look in the later part of the week. People still looked very good, um, but the, it, I just couldn't get that look back. And so uh, I started experimenting with various forms of backloading, where instead of having carbs at the beginning of the week, I would bump them up right before the show. Um, and I would say to this day, I still use different forms of backloading. Um, I cover a, a lot of them. It's not to say I never use a front load, but I cover a lot of them in my book. But um, I, I discuss the various forms of backloading. And, and the one that people know me for best is the one I, I kind of coined as a, a rapid backload, where I load carbohydrates in the single day before the show. Um, the reason I, I do that sometimes is because I noticed a correlation between how full someone could get aggressively carbohydrates were actively coming up at the time. Um, and I don't know this for certain, but I have some ideas about why it happens. But I think the reason I, I couldn't recapture that look, people can't recapture that look when they load at the beginning of the week uh, is because most things within our body have um, a compensation effect. Uh, so when we, when we swing uh, something in our body wildly one way, it almost usually wants to swing back the other way. Uh, it happens with carbohydrates. When we deplete carbohydrates, uh, we are able to then increase our capacity to store carbohydrates within the muscle. So I think a lot of things are that way. And I, I suspect it might even be that way with water. Um, you know, we want water inside our muscle tissue. And so I think that, you know, when I was loading at the beginning of the week, I was kind of packing things full in there and then letting it leak out a little bit and then trying to recapture that magic, but it wasn't happening. So anyway, um, I would do loads where I do it in a single day to maximize that super compensation effect. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it, when I first started doing it, it really freaked people out because I was like, hey, here's my client who ate a thousand grams of carbohydrates the day before the show. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I, the reaction were from some people were really excited by it. Some people were angry. Some people called me a liar. But now after, after several years of doing it, I think of the, the, the intense reaction has gone away. But yeah, I would say that's my primary method for loading uh, bodybuilders. Now, of course, like when I'm dealing with figure bikini, the strategy will be significantly different because nobody wants to have a thousand gram of carbohydrate loaded bikini competitor up there. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it seems like, uh, it seems something strange you would lie about, but anyway, it, it's like, uh, 
it seems really risky. I think that's why people are like, like, because people spill over, right? So well, people can spill over and a thousand grams of carbohydrates is probably something that's people are just have, have never eaten unless they've had like a binge day and um, where they've eaten tons of like candy and stuff. But, but do you, do you base that, that, that number? Cause obviously everybody's not a kilo of carbohydrates. Do you base that number off refeeds or you know, body weight or how do you get that number that you come up to because it's one day or are you testing weeks before? Um, when I first started using this method, um, well, how I arrive at generalized numbers for how much someone could handle was I kind of just did the math like, okay, the average person can maybe hold between, you know, 350 and 550 grams of carbohydrates in their body. And then you may include another 75 or 100 due to super compensation. So, you know, I was adding that up and then they may burn this amount throughout the day. And then you tack that on there. So, um, you know, I was, I was kind of just sort of like adding up to get generalized numbers. That's kind of how I, I, I would say most of my clients consume somewhere between 750 grams to 1200 grams of carbohydrates the day before their show. Um, so that's kind of how I got that generalized range. Um, and that was where I used to start. I would just start on the low end based on their body weight and their, you know, muscle mass and their metabolic rate. You know, some people are just really active and really hyper. So they're going to burn a lot more during that day once I start feeding them. So I would, I would estimate where I thought this person would, would belong. And then I would maybe aim a little lower, maybe a hundred grams lower, just to make sure. Um, now, as I've gotten a lot more experience, I can nail it more spot on because one thing that has, is extremely helpful experience is doing it a lot and seeing how different people's body types react. Uh, one thing I don't hear talked about often enough in coaching is, I mean, oftentimes when I'm coaching somebody, I can say, man, this person's body looks and reacts very similar to this person I've coached in the past. Um, and I don't think people realize how often if they look similar and their prep has been similar, their peak weeks will probably be similar. Not, of course, not identical, but um, oftentimes I can go in and look at what I did with this person that produced a great result, make some adjustments to it, and then we're, we're in business because um, you know, I, I have that experience of like, you know, I know what worked extremely well for this body type. So, um, you know, now I can kind of work off of my previous experiences as a base. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you were like one of the first people I heard talk about the, like someone that's like African American or has African, uh, you know, are descended from Africa. They were, they would like react differently and they, they kind of react similarly to, to nutritional strategies how does that differ from people who are like Caucasian or, or otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's something people get real, real nervous talking about race when it comes to like different strategies utilized, but you know, honestly, it's something that I noticed right out of the way when I first started coaching, um, when I looked around at who was coaching, I noticed that all of the white coaches had great white clients, but their black clients kind of looked meh. And all of the black coaches had great black clients, but their white clients kind of like meh. So it kind of showed me like they only knew how to prep their own race. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, I, my first couple of clients were, were black, my first two clients. And they were, you know, I got to be good friends with them. And they, they granted me the leeway to experiment a little bit. 
and uh, because they weren't paying me, I was just helping them for fun. And honestly, at that point, I wasn't doing this as a job. So yeah, you said so you're anyway, working in a video store. That's like the most bizarre <laughs> route to yeah. becoming a coach. You, usually you think of like, yeah, maybe you did a master's degree in nutrition or exercise physiology. You're working in like blockbusters or something like that. I was, yeah. You know, I, I, I consider myself a pretty, um, to this day, a very self-directed educator. Um, school has always felt very stifling to me. I like to learn. I love to learn, but, um, I like to let it go where I want it to go. <laughs> and so, um, I found that I learned better on my own. I, I didn't intend to make this my career, but, uh, I was just learning because I loved learning about. Well, you, 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 you wouldn't be selling videos anymore anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I, 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 I got out, I got out right at the right time, but uh, <laughs> no, but, uh, but yeah, so my, my first couple of clients were black and they allowed me the leeway to, to try some things. And then, of course, uh, reading the research, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, even if you don't read the research, it makes sense. I always say that um, our ancestors' environments were so varied that it can change our skin color, our hair type and texture and color, um, and our height. It can change all of these things. Of course, it's going to change how we react to various nutrients, depending on what food was available to our ancestors. If, um, you know, if, if somebody, uh, if somebody's ancestors live in an area where um, carbohydrates aren't terribly plentiful, um, it's not going to, it's, it's not going to favor them. They're not going to survive if they really require carbohydrates to perform their best, you know, <laughs> because life was pretty brutal back in caveman days. So whatever food is available, of course, people are going to be more adapted to that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you can look at the research. African-Americans struggle more with diabetes and insulin resistance issues. Uh, they're usually lactose intolerant. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be putting a bunch of milk products in at the final week. You probably want to keep carbohydrate intake more moderate. Um, I do, I do use front loading a little bit more often, or uh, I use mid loading actually a little bit more often for uh, my black competitors compared to my white competitors. Not always because some some black competitors can handle carbohydrates very well, but um, when in doubt, I will be more likely to um, structure things so that uh, there's not um, carbohydrates coming in right before the show because usually there's like. Uh, I found a lot of black competitors, they'll get a little, little bit watery as you're loading carbohydrates. And then it takes time because of the insulin resistance issues to shuttle those carbs inside the muscle tissue. So it's almost like the body will clean up, clean it up, store it, and then things get really tight and look really good. Yeah. And along with the aggressive load, you also do pretty aggressive depletion stage, right? Before that to supercompensate. What, what would that look like? Are, are we talking like zero carbs or close to zero carbs? Um, you know, it can even be 40 or 50 grams of carbohydrates, but I'll do all vegetable carbs just to keep people from fiber. Yeah. Yeah. Storing much. Um, but, uh, you know, some people will have to get down to around 20 or 30 grams of carbohydrates. I try, if somebody is fully lean, like they have no more to lose, we're there. I try to make it a carbohydrate deplete and not a calorie deplete. So I'll take whatever they were dieting on and usually transfer any carbohydrate calories into proteins and fats. Um, but if somebody needs to get a little bit leaner, I may bring calories down a little bit. Yeah. And would that last the six days? Like if the show is a Saturday, you're loading on the Friday, 
would that be a, a week, six days prior where you're like depleting? And what's training and cardio look like? Are you trying to deplete muscle glycogen with training? Um, usually I'll deplete four or five days. Um, I've never gone six. I, I, I think that would just be too long and unnecessary. And honestly, I think some people would just, <laughs> would just yeah. feel awful. Um, but uh, training, training's pretty similar. I'll, I'll have them train their entire body over four days. So it may be something like legs on one day, uh, back and chest on Tuesday, uh, arms and shoulders on Wednesday, and then maybe a whole body on like a, on Thursday and Friday or something along those lines. But, uh, you know, it, it may vary a little bit depending on the person, uh, but not a whole lot. And so, I mean, the biggest goal with peak week is to back off a little bit. Uh, things are pretty light. Uh, we're just trying to get some pumping going to try to deplete those glycogen stores. Um, we're not trying to grow. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they're trying to like grow their final week. They're feeling super motivated. So they're in there just, you know, going crazy on the waist. I'm like, yeah. you're, you're not going to grow right now. It's like, it's almost like the, the last week, the peak week is almost easier uh, for some people than the, the previous weeks because it's like the home stretch and uh, you're kind of ready to, to kind of compete uh, with the, with the load day. Do you have any specific foods or is it just kind of similar to what they're eating throughout the prep? Um, I, during peak week, I usually will control foods to a greater degree. Um, I will uh, usually stick with like chicken or steak, um, along with some green vegetables of their choice, and then uh, maybe oils, uh, if we're talking the deplete portions. Uh, did, you were talking about deplete days or refeed? No, the, the, the actual the load day. So do you like Oh, the load, load day. I, I do usually control foods on the load day because I like sodium and potassium levels to be um, where, I, where I want them to be. Um, so I will also load. And I also like to see a sort of flow of glycemic index over the course of the day, usually going from faster digesting carbs to slower. Um, the reason being that later on in the day, they're gonna become more likely to store fat as they start to fill up their glycogen stores. Yeah. So I switched to slower. Um, but yeah, I will control those. Like a lot of times the carb, the carb up foods I usually like, not always depending on the person. Um, I like uh, Gatorade or um, here I, I have like a, my supplement sponsor makes a product called uh, Ignition, which is like a high glycemic carbo, carbohydrate. Um, Gatorade or, or Ignition, um, usually like dry Cheerios. Um, you can, they're really good to travel and you can snack on them and they're pretty light, you know, easy to take with, uh, sweet potatoes, rice cakes, jasmine rice, things like that. And does, does the show day differ in terms of how do you, are they, are they kind of ready? Or are you just hopping them up on show day? Like if, if the show is like evening time, are you getting them to do a high carb day there or are they kind of, cause they're already super compensated. Are you just getting them to maintain. Yeah. Usually maintain, even, even if it's not a rapid backload, even if it's, I try to always set the set the objective to be your full by show morning. We are just holding from here um, because I find that when you hold it on show day, from when they wake up in the morning to when they hit stage, there can be a, a sharpening that if you pull back food just slightly for a few hours before they hit stage. Yeah. So what happens if someone spills? Because like if you do a really aggressive load and then you're like, oh shit, they're really watery. What do you do? You know, the only time I can think of someone's, I've never had anyone spill with the rapid backload. Um, 
I remember a time back in like 2013 where I went with a, I went with a more subtle approach and they had spilled slightly. And in that case, you have to do things like, um, you've got to do things like, well, one, stop beating. <laughs> like, I think a lot of guys, even when they're spilled, they're like still trying to like get their meal in every two or three hours. But I think you just need to stop eating, try to get a little sweat going, maybe get out in the sun, uh, pump every few hours, just light pumping, not so much that you're getting sore, but try to use up some of the carbohydrate. Those carbohydrates can help. Um, but for the most part, you don't want spilling to happen because it's not really something that can usually be cleaned up very quickly. So um, I, I would say at, at, try to avoid spilling at any cost because it will, sorry, my dog's going crazy, um, <laughs> but try to avoid spilling at any cost. So for that reason, I usually aim lower than I think. The first time I prep somebody, we're aiming lower. Even if I'm almost, even if I'm almost certain that they will re require more, I aim low. Um, because if I aim hundred grams lower, it's not going to be terribly visible on stage, you know, and, and we'll be very close, but the next time I peak them, I can bump it up a little bit. Hey, here's an extra 50 grams. Um, and we can push it a little bit higher. So that way I can observe it where even if they start to go over a little bit, like on the load day, I can be like, eh, we're starting to get there. Let's pull it back. I can kind of like work my way up slowly to where their capacity is. Yeah. I think, I think it may have been, you mentioned it before about like, peak we can you can get like a 10 percent advantage but if you cock it up you can like a 30 cent 30 percent negative like if you really fuck things up like if you have a ton of sodium or you spill so if you really don't know I, what I you're doing that. The, the analogy that i use that people seem to like is like you can get you can get a, a five to ten percent positive out of it yeah and then i mean even i would say 30 to 50 percent negative depending on yeah. how bad you mess it up and i i always say it's like um it's like trying to steal a candy bar from a gas station. At best, you get a free candy bar. <laughs> um, at worst, you're getting arrested. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, it, so um, you really need to make sure that you don't get greedy. Um, I always tell people, like, if we're going to use the candy bar scenario, um, maybe just take, if you're unsure of what you're doing, just take one candy bar. Don't start filling your pockets. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, the, when I first did like a photo shoot, like when I was 19, uh, I had like a coach that I got off the muscular development forums and mm -hmm. uh, I was looking pretty good. And then he got me to use Expel, which is like a natural diuretic for him from, mm -hmm. I think, Dimatize or, or uh, one of those companies and like low carbs. So it was like a dry load and I just looked absolutely terrible for this. I just looked like I water too. Yeah, yeah. So the the diuretic plus cutting water because he was probably coaching like enhanced athletes and stuff. Yeah, you know. And I was like a nineteen year old natural. Like, I just looked. I, I went from like looking good to like looking pretty shitty the next day for the photos, uh, which was you know lesson learned. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks for coming on, Cliff. Where, where can yeah. people find more about you? Uh the the two best places are uh, my Instagram uh, at CW Team Wilson. Uh, or my website, teamwilsonbb.com. Those are the two best places to, to get a hold of me. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Good to have you on.